Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. This is the December 2018 edition, and for this episode, I'm joined by Pete Townsend of Norio Ventures and Deza Donahue from Fundrex as co-hosts. We chat about fintech, we talk about some of the companies that are operating in that sector, and we also discuss some of the developments, challenges and opportunities out there in the fintech space, particularly in Ireland. But I begin our chat by asking the two guys to introduce themselves, beginning with Des. Uh, my name is Des O'Donoghue. I'm one of the co-founders at Fundrex. Uh, we're based in Dublin in business since 2013. And my background is in the operation side of investment management. And people probably know you, Des, from the YouTube videos. Yeah, we do a lot of YouTube. I, I kind of made a promise to myself I'd do one interview per week uh, for 2018, and I think I've managed to do 56, so happy with that. Yeah, so there. Do you get stopped on the street? Uh, no, for, for other reasons, but yeah, no, not, not for the videos, yeah. Pete? So yeah, Pete Townsend. Um, geez, how do I describe myself? It's really hard to do that. Uh, I have been in the financial services industry for about 23 years now at this stage. Um, the last two as an advisor, consultant, podcaster, speaker, advisor. Did I say advisor? You said advisor. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, they, they, it's mostly advisor, right? Um, but founded Norio Ventures two years ago with the intention of um, building an asset management, asset servicing consultancy. Um, and then after the first few months um, of also doing that, but from the perspective of helping fintech, uh, that the business has really become advising startups. And talk to me a little bit about the podcast. So you do the that, uh, Money Never Sleeps podcast. Yep. Excellent podcast with uh, Owen Fitzgerald. Yep. So Owen came to me in May of this year after uh, he had been familiar with me from some of the 11FS podcasts that I had done earlier in the year. And Owen and I met a couple of years ago anyway, and, and just stayed in touch and got together for coffee here and there and had chats. And he kind of came to the conclusion that he wanted to launch a podcast. Uh, and he said, well, Pete, you're kind of coming out of the back end of what you did with 11FS. Can you give me a hand? And we're up to now nearly 30 episodes. I think we did just 29 last week over the course of the last six months. Um, and Money Never Sleeps is a look inside the head of entrepreneurs to figure out what makes them do what they do. It's an excellent podcast. So Thank you. I'd uh, urge all of, all of my own podcast listeners to, to check it out. And I'd urge all of my podcast listeners as well, or Owen and Mind's podcast listeners, to uh, download the A-Quest Easy That's Listening Funds Industry there. Podcast. Then, <laughs> Pete, I have some shocking news for you. Yeah. Okay? About two weeks ago, I saw a brochure for a fintech conference. And I didn't see your name as either a speaker <laughs> or host of the event. What's going on? Are you losing your touch? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, no, I mean, I am. I'm picky. I've become more picky over the last um, the last few months, and kind of realizing that when you're out there speaking at events, that is kind of worth six weeks worth of meetings because you get to reach a good audience. Um, and there's a fine line between being able to do a keynote address, being the chair of a panel, and being a speaker on a panel, right? You don't always get to have your say when you are just a speaker on a panel. Um, you know, when you get up to three, four speakers, Des, as we've talked about, you know, in the context of Adminovate, when you get beyond four, 
Um, sometimes you just have a person sitting there at the end that doesn't get to say too much. I've done, you know, panels where it was um, myself and two others where myself and one of the individuals just took over. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're having a debate on cryptocurrency versus enterprise blockchain, right? And, um, you know, and that, that gets a bit fun. But we, we've, you know... Uh, you, you just need to be selective. Yeah, sure, sure. You do a lot, or certainly you, you, you um, go to a lot and speak a lot of conferences and that about uh, distributed ledger technology and, and blockchain and that kind of stuff. Is that a big part of your day-to-day kind of work? Is that kind of work? It is, it is. Um, what, I'd say my eye-opening moment with blockchain was in 2014 where I just realized it was a thing. Um, that, you know, the, what powers Bitcoin, right? What sits behind Bitcoin? Um, and went down a rabbit hole and, you know, haven't really come up for air uh, except for, you know, uh, once a month here or there to, to, to see what's happening in the real world. Uh, but once you start following it and see all of the detail that comes out, if you look for the news, you'll find it. Um, there are outlets like Finextra. Um, the guys from QuantRec do a good weekly compendium of all the stories that are out there. And just by following a curated version of what's on the FT, you can figure out what's going on there. Um, and I'd say since I launched the business in 2016, I'm now probably on four or five uh, different startups or uh, what we call not necessarily entrepreneurial in- ventures, but where you've got a corporate building a new venture off to the side of their their mothership, um, where I'm helping them to figure out how they get to market. Um, and what's most interesting is not those startups that have blockchain on the first part, the first page of their uh, pitch deck. It's where it's on page eight. Right. Where it's just part of their infrastructure and they've already figured out that, listen, this is the best technology available for us to use. Yeah. There's tons of fintech stuff going on generally. I want to talk to Des just about what, he, what Des does in particular. But um, like there, there's absolutely tons going on. And when you speak to some of the firms involved, the ideas are so big. You know, the, yeah. If you follow it through, you end the wormhole, but you come out the other side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I get the technology, I understand it. I went through in 2014, I think it was 2015, actually, working with a consultant um, that was um, trying to sidle up to the to the bank I was working for and, and get some consulting business there. He's a great guy. And he said, uh, listen, what, what do you want to do to try to figure out how we might be able to make sense of blockchain and use it in an enterprise setting? And it came up with this idea, Des, uh, about reconciliations, right? And it was this first idea to say, can we put reconciliations on a blockchain-based platform? And it was kind of a fool's errand because what you're doing is you're trying to solve a problem at the end of the food chain, which is when you have reconciliations to do, that means, well, why did they? Why did you end up uh, having to do them? Well, there was a problem at the top of the food chain. So go back up to the top of the food chain and put blockchain there. And that's a, there's a much longer story behind that. But meeting with this consultant and doing this for a few days, um, he brought me through his process, which was 25 questions um, that he's given me the okay to go ahead and use with startups. And that's what I use. Just call it the business idea deconstruction questionnaire, which goes through uh, the entire business model, rips it to shreds um, and says, you know, is this the right thing to be doing right now? Um, so that's session one. Session two is kind of a venture capital due diligence session that I do. Um, and session three is CB Insights did a great um, 20 part, or sorry, 20, top 20 reasons why startups fail. 
Um, so you can go through all 20 of those and try to pick a hole in the business. And then you end up with a much stronger pitch and a much stronger kind of scaling plan for the business. So you actually do some work beyond podcasting. And I do. And conferences and stuff like that. I do. And the, <laughs> the, the hard part is taking all of that output and doing a write-up that is actually usable. And what the feedback I'm getting from people is that the actual session of doing this, where it's three hours um, with the founder, the co-founder team, um, and, and one or two others, the session itself is the most valuable. The write-up is just kind of, well, if you're a consultant advisor, you kind of have to do a write-up afterwards, right? Um, you know, but it's the actual session of what we uncover in the session um, for a new thing that they hadn't thought of yet um, that's worth the time. And does that sound familiar to you as a startup? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, our startup story is, um, it was kind of by accident, to be honest with you. Just, it wasn't, I'd love to put up my hand and say, yeah, I'm, a, you know, I'm somebody who wanted to have their own company or whatever. That really isn't what happened. What happened was we had an opportunity to build something really cool and really different and a founding client to do with. So ours is not, to, like most... Like I'm very, I'm not anti-startup, but I am certainly risk averse. So if somebody said to me, you know, startups, the media has a role to play, you know, they're always saying, well, you know, they paint every startup that's successful as an overnight success. Mm. I've yet to meet one. If you look at Stripe, they were going, they started in 2010, 2016, they started making revenue. That's six years. You know, that's that's a, a huge investment of your time and, and your patience and all that kind of stuff. Um, Fundrex was born out of, uh, a perfect storm where we had a client and we had a team that could build a product and get paid to do that. Um, the mission of Fundrex originally was to get rid of Excel in the reconciliation process. That's that's it. Um, Pete is a you know he's very well versed on blockchain and and all that good stuff. Blockchain is is definitely here. Uh, in what form it takes, I don't know. But what I would say is what we are trying to do at Fundrex is solve today's problems today. Um, yeah. th there is an awful lot of talk about, uh, about DL technology and what it is going to do, but it's always future tense. You know, This is what it is going to do. Whereas the clients that we're solving problems for, they want today's problems solved today. Tell us a bit more about um, how you, you go about your job. Because So coming from my side, so I'm a funds lawyer by training, being in a law firm, being with the regulators, and never being at the cold face of operations. Um, and on the odd occasion that I've wandered in there, usually by mistake, I found, like I worked with a client where they wanted to launch a head share class in a fund, and this was the mid-2000s, and a big client. And they, because of their tech or operations, they actually set it up as a new fund rather than as a share class. And that was really surprised me that, that even something that seemed pretty basic like that was, was a tr so tricky. Um, so. It seems like there's still a lot of sort of inefficiencies, a lot of a lot to be gained in how funds are run. Right. So the the problem with the funds industry is there's absolutely no consistency in the format of data. And by format I mean you could receive data in an email, you could receive it by um, SFTP, you could receive it uh, via web, okay? Now, the actual format of the file, it could be anything from Excel, CSV, XML, Swift, PDF, you name it. And then there's no consistency to actual how the data is laid out. So the first problem that we set about addressing was how to parse data. Uh, we spent two and a half years building that 
piece of kit. Um, it's the cornerstone of Fundrex. We started by solving the reconciliation problem and then we upsold. So we had clients that said, okay, you've done our reconciliations, that's great. Uh, now we want you to do our trade capture, so we've done that. Uh, now we want you to look at our pricing, we've done that. Uh, then we would have um, been asked to develop transfer agency reconciliations, which nobody was doing and is still not doing in terms of automating it properly. So we did that as well. Um, the key to all of that is the ability to parse files and we will have a big year in 2019. So quarter one, we're launching uh, a standalone module that will allow you to bring any file you want in any format that you receive bring it in, manipulate it in whatever way you would manually do it and send it on its merry way. That sounds like a simple thing, but it really is not. But it's the cornerstone as to why the investment funds industry, in my opinion, operationally speaking, is not at all efficient. Because most people hunter, hunt and gather information rather than just receiving it and it getting uh, processed. And that's the piece we've solved. Yeah, yeah re really important point. That's your secret sauce. It is. Yeah. And this kind of plays back to an experience I had earlier in the year where um, I set out with the uh, with a crew from 11FS to take. Uh, Dan, are you familiar with 11FS? I am. I've heard of it. Yeah. I mean, what they do is, um, well, it's a long story, but um, it in short, I spent about six, seven months working with those guys, um, had a fantastic experience uh, in the, the first half of this year. What we set out to do was to say to the wealth and asset management community, listen, let's take a look at your distribution model here. 60% of the funds that you sell go through institutional channels, right? To pension funds, to big charities, to endowments, to all those types of um, investors that are putting in 25 to 50 to 100 million at a time. 30% of your investments go through the wealth management channels. Uh, so those that are selling you know, 50 to 100K, maybe 10, 25K, depending upon the channel uh, at a time. 10% goes through, well, you go direct. And how do you get a direct investment into a fund? Well, an investor goes to the website of the asset manager. They go to the little part of the website that says um, download PDF, and they get a subscription form that they then print out. Maybe if they're lucky, it's a PDF with forms in it where they can actually type in. They print it out. They fill it out. They put in their amount. They sign it. They scan it. They send it to the asset manager's administrator. Um, and then they get their investment in for a thousand pounds or euro or dollars, whatever it is, right? What we tried to do was say to the asset managers, listen, there is a much uh, bigger market here that you can attack. Uh, and the, but their feedback was, well, that's just 10% of the market, right? That's 10% of my investor base. Um, what's going to happen if I build this wonderful new distribution model, all automated, all digital? Um, what's going to happen to my 60% coming through institutions and my 30% coming through through wealth management, right? And we're going to start to cannibalize that. So they didn't want to do that. Long story short, what we figured out, Des, uh, which is what you guys do, which is that there's still way too much money to be made the old way in the asset management industry. There's huge margins in asset management right now. Now, I know you spoke with Adrian Mulryan on your last podcast episode, and he talked about the margins in ETFs. The margins in the wider asset management, so active funds, 35 to 40%, right? Why are we going to mess with that? Right now, this day and age, the feedback coming from the wealth and asset management market was, let's, let's not do that just yet, Pete. We have this wonderful guest. Look at your idea about distributing funds and doing it all digitally. Um, let's not 
go exactly that way yet. Let's come back to it. Um, yeah. But surely somebody's going to hear this podcast, Pete, and they're going to go, their ears are going to pick up and they're going to think opportunity for, there's an opportunity there for somebody to there, there, there's a big opportunity, um, but you know, in order to do that properly, you need things like what Fundrex have built, right? With that parsing engine to be able to get this data in from disparate sources, to be able to start making sense of it in the digital world, right? Um, I think that you know the best way to do this isn't to try to go through a digital transformation of your main business, right? Where you bring in um, and spend you know a billion, two billion, three billion, like some of the big financial services providers are doing right now um, on a massive, huge consulting project. This is, let's look at a new market, look at perhaps your 10%, what's a way to reach them, um, and build a new product off the side that's fully digital, and then eventually um, start moving over some of your existing business. Get a MVP going, um, make that work in the market, and then come back to it um, with your existing investor base and start moving them over. So what does MVP mean, Pete? Minimum viable product, oh. or in baseball parlance, Des, I know you're a huge Red Sox <laughs> fan. Massive. Yeah, yeah, most valuable player, right? It's day one startup lingo. Um, so FinTech then, for me, FinTech is using technology in the financial services industry to make things more efficient or better. Pretty fair, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I always say cheaper, faster, better, right? Yeah. You know, And there's FinTech that is geared towards just that, right? Which is making the current... Um, processes that you run in financial services, making that more efficient, doing it cheaper, doing it better. So it sounds like there's there's tons of areas where operations are at the moment that could be improved through the use of technology. And there's as I said, there's loads of fintech companies out there that are looking at that. What kind of other than your, your sales days? What kind of other products and other firms are out there that are in this space? That yeah, there's there, there's. I was going to say there's loads of them in Ireland. There's not really loads of them. They're they're very they're laser focused. So regulatory uh, fintech companies are very popular at the moment. And the reason they're so popular is is because somebody has a big stick behind the companies and is saying, you need to make sure you are compliant. And there's no way around that. The The focus of a lot, like AQ Metrics, very good uh, reg tech company. And they're just laser focused on the regulation side and they have their ear to the ground. Interestingly, I was speaking with Geraldine Gibson and she was saying that, um, she's the CEO of AQ, AQ Metrics, and she was saying that regulations actually calmed down a bit now. And now it's just a question of, of betting this stuff in. But one, one point I would want to make, Danny, is people think, well, if I go down the technology route, it's going to cost me a lot of money. There's not one client that we have that it's costing them more money to use us than what they were doing manually. Because what we do is we replace, we look, we do a business case for all of our clients. They'll tell us what they're, it's costing to do currently through people. And we will um, better that as best we can. So, but there's not one of our clients that it costs them more money to use us than to do it the manual way they were doing because people are expensive. And presumably, you're, when you're automating, you're removing some of the risky human error out of the system. Oh, massively so. Like, like it's ridiculous. Um, I was talking to one prospect who told me they have, uh, the last Friday in every month, they wear their worst pair of jeans into the office. This is no word of a lie. They um, print out all of this investor services uh, paper. They get down on their hands and knees on the ground and they start ticking and bashing. Why That's, do they get on their hands and knees on the ground? Because they need the space for all these PDFs that they're printing out to tick and bash one set of records against another. 
And I know you're laughing here going, that could not be the case. That is 100% That probably case. is, you're probably not even joking. I am not even, <laughs> I am absolutely not joking. I am not joking. Tell me this, do you have any interaction with regulators then? Or, or um, Not so much. No, not so much. We, we, we really don't. Um, as a technology company, we're, we're unregulated in, in that mm. aspect. We see. So we're a SaaS model, so software as a service. We give you the technology to do the work that you need to get done. But in terms of our conversations with regulators, a few and far between. Yeah. What about you, Pete? Um, I've kind of like, there, there's an intersection of fintech with what you call techfin, right? So techfin would be those technologies that will span across different industries, right? So um, cybersecurity, IoT, 5G, AI, machine learning, um, blockchain, distributed ledger technologies. Um, I tend to look for those fintech propositions that are also leveraging um, emerging or cutting edge technology, right? And so that's kind of where I play, um, at least with the, the clients that I'm working with and, and the, the types of things that I'm passionate about. Um, the latest energy seems to be going towards what we call security tokens, okay? So I do this half hour talk on um, how blockchain and distributed ledger technologies have has evolved and what the potential impact could be in asset management. Um, Des, like you're saying, what it could be, right? You know, um, And what I do is I show these 12 different mainstream financial services players that are all leveraging it in some way, shape, or form, or building for it in some way, shape, or form today um, across cryptocurrencies and trading those across um, using blockchain at the enterprise level, distributed ledger technology at enterprise level. And then I show these 12 different startup scale-ups that are all building the infrastructure. So just for imagine for a second, you ever see that, that uh, golden Bitcoin, right, that, that you see in photographs? Um, someone actually gave me a real one. Did I show that to you, Des, last you year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so imagine if that actually were a real thing in the in the physical world, a Bitcoin, right? And you took that golden wrapper off of it, that Bitcoin wrapper off of it, and you've got just this living, uh, almost cryptocurrency Android sitting behind it, right? With all the little lights and, and gears flashing off of it, right? And that's how I imagine a cryptocurrency actually working in the re- in, in the real world. Take that Bitcoin wrapper off of it and put a publicly traded stock wrapper on top of it. Okay, um, Amazon, Microsoft, and imagine the um, where things could work once you have publicly traded equities operating as tokens. Okay, in the digital world, um, I see a lot of that. Um, a lot of those ideas coming to market. I see a lot of that getting funded on the venture capital side. Um, I started digging into this probably about three months ago in terms of all of the different players out there that are investing in this space. Um, and it's almost like in 2001, after the dot-com bubble burst, um, you had all of these businesses that started investing in internet commerce or the internet infrastructure in general. And look where it got us, right? So I think the same thing is happening now that Bitcoin is back to earth. Um, and, you know, there's so much going on in that market, uh, but I tend to try to look at it objectively um, rather than look at it with with venom. Like a, a friend of mine that I was having coffee with the other day that just couldn't believe I was talking about Bitcoin. He's like, "But that was created by anarchists, and that was created for completely illicit activities, and that's all it's good for." I said, "Dude, where's this venom coming from?" 
And he didn't say it, but I could tell that just based upon his background as a regulated type guy, um, it was just so foreign to him that you could have a, a, a digital asset operating outside of the governance of a central bank. It just just was completely foreign to him. Didn't make sense. I like the passion though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally passionate about it. It's a lot and of caffeine is, too. Is this going to make it onto the agenda for a minute? Um, I, I, we, it, it'll come up, but it'll come up like it does in the pitch decks that I love, right? That it's on page eight rather than featuring on page one. It's going to be part of the conversations. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think largely what Adminovate is about is about um, educating and inspiring the next generation of leaders in the funds industry. That's the main point. And by pointing out to them these, some of these new technologies that um, are growing and are making an impact in other industries or perhaps in their own industry that they may not be aware of yet, then we are educating them um, and hopefully doing some inspiration at the same time. And how did Adminovate come around? Um, we had started with Pete actually doing a couple of events and I give a shout out to the guys in Dogpatch Labs. Um, they were kind enough to give us a room in the evening and we got kind of like-minded people in a room. The event was called Findig. It was, um, Did uh, you not uh, like that name, Des? Uh, worst acronym ever. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> no, 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 no. Funds Industry Dublin Innovation Group, but also a play on Shindig. Absolutely, right? absolutely. I've, I've been that. I, I never got that. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, Most of my acronyms are terrible. But I also also thought Adminovate was a terrible name for a, an event, and now I think it, it actually is a great name. So there you go. It's, it's just how these things go. It came about because we were talking about how we can reach a wider audience than what the Findig event was doing. The whole point is. Pete said about the uh, Adminovate event is education and it's really for operational people that don't get out of the cave too often. What I mean by that is ops people are normally the people that are stuck in the office trying to get uh, the day's work done. They don't normally get to as many events as the glitzy uh, sales guys get to. It's geared at operations people and some of the stuff that's going to be on the agenda uh, are things like cool tech. So we're going to get the likes of the guys from Stripe, um, Intercom, Slack. These guys that have, have new technology and, and showcase some of that stuff and tell some of those stories so that often people might say, hmm, yeah, I think I could bring some of that stuff in-house and make my life a bit better and in turn make my clients a bit better. Uh, better. So that's why Adminovate came about. Trinity College jumped on board as soon as we said, look, this is about education. They said, oh, fantastic. It's going to take place in the Edinburgh theater uh, January 17th uh, so adminovate.ie for tickets and the reason I plug it hard is uh, it's, it's a not-for-profit event all proceeds go to two charities so we have TAP which is the Trinity Access Program their mandate is to help underprivileged people get into third-level education that's what they do uh, and the other charity is the funds industry charity basis.point uh, who do a fantastic job at younger age uh, children and trying to make sure that disadvantaged people have uh, early access to, to education yeah and I, I, I have to say I have my ticket I'm looking forward to the event I think the idea of taking the ops people out of the office for a day and, yeah. and giving them a bit of time for their education is it's important because when you are down in the weeds and you're down, it can be hard to lift the head up and just understand the wider environment understand why you do what you do understand why it's important because as I said when you're down in the weeds you can just lose that in the day to day such a for, for motivation, but also just to understand, as I said, the role in the world and why it's important and 
what happens if things go wrong in terms of who loses out. I think that's terribly important. Yeah, that, that get people on our well, well, I agree with you, and, and we've priced it accordingly. It is a, it is a not for profit event, and, and all the proceeds go to the charities, as I mentioned. But it's priced to encourage. Um, business owners to get their staff out of the office and, and down and see if they can learn something a little bit get different. along yeah. get yeah. along so to who, it who have you got speaking there is a, a whole cast if they go to adminovate.ie they, they'll see who's there but there's there's panels on M&A there's panels on asset managers and the whole point of the asset manager because they're ultimately uh, the ops people's client and the asset managers will tell their stories about what they need from the providers so like it is a, a real focus on uh, education um, but if they go to adminovate Dot .ie all the all the speakers are listed there and they'll see what what's in store. Okay, I take a wild a wild guess uh, that Pete is hosting the event. Uh, he'll be there, he'll be there all right. It wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a without Pete. Um, yeah, but it's it's a lot of fun and people will be very well fed as well. They do a great job. And actually, interestingly enough, the the dining hall in Trinity where uh, the meal is had at lunchtime uh, that's the inspiration for J.K. Rowling's uh, Hogwarts. That's actually where. And when you go into the room, you kind of see it. Lunch with Harry Potter. It's yeah. awesome. Lunch with Harry Potter. You two guys. Yeah, yeah, Dumbledore and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which one's Dumbledore? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I I love Adminovate. Um, this was you know like like Des said, him and Alan and I got uh, Alan Meany's the um, one of the co-founders of, of Fundrax and CEO um, with Des. We got together would have been midway through 2017, was it? Yeah. And it was how do we take Findig and turn it into a full day event and make it something that um, one. I think, you know, uh, like Des is saying, is educational, is inspiring, but is actually a alternative type event, you know, compared to the mainstream. Are people in jeans and stuff like that? Yeah, you yeah. wear whatever you want. Um, and it, I'm, I'm, I'm the one man, you know, uh, wrecking ball to the whole wear a tie and financial services thing, right? I'm trying to get rid of that. Um, I don't think it's necessary, but, you know, just because I got sick of wearing neckties. Anyway, um, that's not the point. The point is to say we've got... It, you know, the 300 people we got to the event last year, um, which was unexpected for the first couple of weeks of January. Um, but Des and I were at, at an event after we started doing a bit of this planning on this and getting it going. And I think we initially targeted September of 2017 to do it, then realized that if we wanted to do it at Trinity, that, well, you can't do it during the school year. Um, so January is the right time to do that. Uh, but Des and I were at, at another event um, both speaking on a panel that probably the ticket price was about 10 times that of Adminovate. Um, and there was might have been 40 people there. Um, and we kind of felt like, listen, we can definitely do a better job, right? Getting the right type of people together just to give that different view on what's going on in the industry and rather have it be this, you know, whole sales led type approach where everybody's, you know, um, uh, on stage talking about their product. Now, we do have a startup pitch competition specifically to open people's eyes for that. But it's not about the big corporate players coming and, and doing a big pitch. It's about sharing stories, about sharing experience and opening people's eyes to what's going on out there. I absolutely don't mind at all flogging the hell out of this thing. For 160, 170 euro for a ticket as it's going right now. Um, and it, trying to get all my friends out there in the industry to buy a ticket because you know what? The proceeds beyond cost go to charity and they're two very good charities. 
right? Yeah, and for people that, that want to come to these things for the networking side, because that's part of the whole thing, there is the, the, the uh, Adminovate uh, big quiz, which is taking place that evening. And that is a perfect networking opportunity for people that aren't there to uh, necessarily look at the, what's going on in the ops world. Yeah, how did you find, so this is the second year, so obviously yep. last year, or, or 2018, this year was, was your first event. How did you find out? Was, was there a good buzz in the room? Was oh, there a good the, energy? The buzz was fantastic. I was so by the time uh, by the time I had left the event and gone to the after party, I had three emails from sponsors that day saying that they were signing up there and then for 2019. Yeah, good. Yeah, I was wrecked at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It was just you know that much adrenaline just going all day. The only thing I was missing was the cowbell des. Yeah. Remember, yeah, I, I had to go out back up to the concourse to yell ding, 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 instead of actually ringing a bell because I didn't have a bell. Um, to, get people, to get people, yes, we will have a bell, <laughs> to get people back down after the break. So your tagline is where we create the inspiration for innovation in the fund administration industry. So yeah. it's a big tagline, you're gonna live up to it. Absolutely, 100%. Cool. So that's Ryan, this is the 17th of January in Trinity, Adminivate.ie, tickets available now, going to sell out. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Absolutely. It'll be a full event. So there we have to wrap up episode 11 of the Equest podcast. I really want to thank Pete and Des for their time and their insights on FinTech and Adminivate Conference 2019. I've got my ticket. I hope you guys all go out and get yours. It should be a great event. I'm really looking forward to it. In the meantime, I want to wish you all a happy Christmas and all the best for 2019 be plenty of new developments on the Equest side, some new training programs. And of course, we'll be back each month with our monthly podcast and I have some great guests lined up. So please do join us for that. In the meantime, have a great Christmas and a happy new year. I'll catch you in 2019. You've been listening to the Aquas podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.